Chapter twenty six of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter twenty six. It was about eight o'clock in the morning, to judge by the height of the sun above the horizon, and about with which we must be contented, owing to the watches having stopped on account of the immersion. If Barroso's men had not followed the explorers, it was not so with the chimpanzees. A dozen of them left the troop with the evident intention of escorting the intruders. The others remained around the encampment. As he walked, the bargeman looked sideways at the savage bodyguard, who answered him with abominable grimaces and threatening gestures and gruff exclamations. Evidently, he thought, these brutes are talking amongst themselves. I am sorry I cannot understand them. It would be a pleasure to converse in their language. An excellent opportunity, this, to make philological observations, and ascertain if, as Garner the American says, the higher apes have vocal sounds expressive of their different ideas, such as whoa for food, she for drink, eek for take care. In fact, if in the simian tongue a and o are missing, i is rare, e little used, and u and ou are the fundamental vowels. It will not have been forgotten that the document found on the island in the Gulf of Oman gave the particulars of the island in Moyuma Bay, and mentioned the position in which the sign of the double K marked the site of the treasure. On the first island, it was on a promontory to the south that the search had to be made and was made. On the second island, on the contrary, it was on one of the northern capes that one of the rocks bore the monogram. It was on the southern side that the shipwreck had occurred. Consequently, the exploring party had to march northward a distance of about a couple miles. There was nothing surprising in the two legatees being in advance of the group. They walked quickly, without exchanging a word, and would have allowed none of their companions to get in front of them. Every now and then the notary gave an uneasy look at Sook. He had no doubt but that he had arranged some villainy with the Portuguese captain. There was one thought he could not get rid of, that if Antifer lost the treasure, his commission would probably go the same way. Once or twice he tried to talk to Sauk, but Sauk, with gloomy eye and angry look, feeling himself perhaps watched by Jewel, did not reply. In fact, Jewel's mistrust was greatly increased when he noticed how Ben Omar treated Nazim. Even in an Alexandrian office, it is not customary for the clerk to command and the notary to obey, and there could be no doubt that it was with these two personages. The bargeman thought of nothing but the chimpanzees. Now and then his good-looking face would respond to their grimaces. His eye would close, his nose turn up, his lips protrude. Nanon and Enogate would certainly not have recognized him when he abandoned himself to these simian distortions. Enogate! Ah, poor child! Assuredly at this moment she was thinking of Jewel, for she was always thinking of him. But that this very day he had been shipwrecked and was marching amid an escort of chimpanzees, never! No, never could she have imagined that. In this latitude at this time of year, the sun describes a semicircle from east to west as it passes near the zenith. Consequently, the rays it projects in these countries are not oblique, but perpendicular. The torrid zone is well named, for the zone is literally torrified from dawn to eve. And these jokers do not seem to be warm, said the bargeman looking at the chimpanzees. It is enough to make you wish you were an ape. To avoid the solar rays, it might have been worth while to advance under the trees, but their trunks began to branch so low down 
that the forest seemed impenetrable. Unless you were an ape, as Tregamine wished to be, and could travel among the branches, it would have been impossible to have found a passage. And so it was along the shore that Antifer went, skirting the creeks, avoiding the high rocks rising here and there like menhirs, and stumbling over the stones where he could not find any on the sandy beach clear of the rising tide. Is it not a difficult road, hard to the feet and rough to travel, which leads to fortune? He might sweat blood and water if necessary, but it would not be too much if he was to be eventually paid at the rate of a thousand pounds for every step he took in approaching his goal. An hour after they left camp, they had only gone a mile, that is, half as far as they wanted. From this place, the northern points on the island were visible. Three or four ran out from the rest. Which was the right one? Unless they were exceptionally fortunate, they would probably have to search them all under the terrific meridian heat. The bargeman was quite done up. Let us rest a moment, he entreated. Not a moment, replied Captain Antifer. But, uncle, said Jewel, Tregomain is visibly melting. Let him melt. Thank you, my friend. At this reply, Tregomain, who did not want to remain behind, resumed his march. It took another half hour before they reached the place where the four points branched out. The difficulties of the road increased. Some of the obstacles appeared insurmountable. What an indescribable chaos of shingle and ridges of quartz. Really, the place had been well chosen, and Kamalik had had a happy knack of hiding treasure, which might have been envied by the monarchs of Basura, Baghdad, and Samarkand. Here ended the wooded part of the island. Evidently, the chimpanzees had no intention of going further. They did not willingly leave the shelter of trees, and the sound of roaring waves has no attraction for them. When the escort stopped at the edge of the trees, it was not without manifesting intentions that they were anything but conciliatory with regards to the strangers who were pursuing their explorations toward the extremity of the island. What howls they uttered! One of them picked up some stones and threw at them, and as the others followed his example, there was some danger of Anifer and his companions being stoned to death. And this is probably what would have happened if they had been imprudent enough to reply, as they were not equal to their aggressors either in strength or number. Do not reply! Do not reply! shouted Jewel, seeing Tregomain and Saouk picking up some stones. Nevertheless, said the bargeman, whose hat had been knocked off by a stone. No, Tregomain, no! Come further away, and we shall be safe. They will not come any further after us. This was the best to do. Fifty yards more, and they would be out of range of the stones. It was then half-past ten. To the north, three points ran out into the sea for a hundred and fifty or two hundred yards. It was the longest one to the northwest that Antifer and Zambuco decided to visit first. Nothing could be more barren than this mass of rocks, some of them firmly buried in the sand, others scattered and rolled about by the sea during the bad weather. No trace of vegetation, not even of lichens coating the humid blocks, not even a scrap of seaweed, so abundant on the shores of the temperate zones. There was nothing to fear with regard to the monogram of Kamalik Pasha. If it had been inscribed on one of these rocks thirty-one years before, it would certainly be found intact. Our explorers began their search exactly as they had done that on the island in the Gulf of Oman. It may hardly be believed, but the two legatees were so possessed by their passion that they seemed to suffer no fatigue from their trying march under the burning sun. And Saouk, in the interest of his master, for who would have imagined it was for his own sake, set to work with indefatigable zeal. The notary sat between two rocks, and neither moved nor spoke.
If they discover the treasure, there will be time enough for him to intervene and claim the commission to which, being present, he was entitled by the provisions of the will. And he certainly would not be overpaid, considering the tribulations he had undergone during three long months. We need hardly say that by Captain Antifer's orders, Jewel remained near him, and began a methodical examination of every foot of the ground. It is not very likely, he said to himself, that we shall find the millions here. First, it is necessary that the treasure is buried on this island, and not on one of the other islands of the bay. Secondly, it must be buried on this point. Thirdly, we have got to find among the mass of rocks one that bears double K. But if all these circumstances combine, if it is not a hoax on the part of the abominable Pasha, if I put my hand on the monogram, would it not be better to say nothing about it? My uncle would then give up this deplorable idea of marrying me to a duchess and elegate to a duke. Well, no. My uncle would never recover from such a blow. He would go out of his mind. My conscience would tell me I had acted dishonorably. I must go on with this thing. And while Jewel was indulging in these reflections, the bargeman was seated on a piece of rock with his arms swaying, his legs hanging down, his cheeks streaming, puffing like a seal come to the surface after prolonged immersion. The investigations proceeded without result. Antifer, Zambuco, Jewel, and Saouk hunted about, patting all the rocks which by their position might bear the precious monogram. In vain were two wearisome hours devoted to this operation, up to the very end of the point. Nothing. Nothing. And, indeed, was it likely that a place would have been chosen exposed to the beatings of the surf and the violence of the waves? No. After the search was over on this promontory, would they resume it on the others? Yes, they would resume them the next day, and Antifer would recommence his work on another island if he failed on this one. Having found no trace, the group returned from the point, examining the rocks and the sand as they came. But there was nothing. At present, the only thing to do was to get back to the camp, embark on one of the boats, and cross to Mayumba. As Antifer, Zambuco, Jewel, and Sue came back from their search, they saw the bargeman and the notary still where they had left them. Antifer and Zambuco, without uttering a word, went toward the edge of the forest, where the chimpanzees were waiting for them. Jewel rejoined Tregamine. Well? asked the bargeman. Not a sign of a double, or even a single K. Then we must get back? Just so. Get up. Let us be off to the camp. Get up? Yes, if I can. Come, give me a hand, my boy. And with a vigorous haul from Jewel, Tregamine rose to his feet. Ben Omar was already upright near Saouk. Antifer and Zambuco were twenty yards in front. From gestures and clamors, the chimpanzees took to action. A number of stones were thrown, and it became necessary to stand on the defensive. Evidently, these wretched chimpanzees intended to prevent Antifer and his companions rejoining Barrasso and his men at camp. Suddenly a shout was heard. It came from Ben Omar. Had the notary been hit by a stone in some sensitive part of his person? No. It was not a cry of grief that escaped him. It was a cry of surprise, almost a cry of joy. They all stopped. The notary, with his mouth open and his eyes shut, stretched out his hand at Tregamine. There, he said, there. What do you mean, asked Jewel. Have you gone mad, Ben Omar? No, there, the K, the double K, replied the notary in a voice choked with emotion. The K, the double K, they exclaimed. Yes, 
Where? And they looked at a rock toward which Ben Omar seemed to be pointing, but they saw nothing. But where, you animal? asked Antifer, in a voice of fury. There, replied the notary. His hand pointed at the bargeman, who turned and shrugged his shoulders. See it, said Ben Omar? On his back! In fact, on Tregamine's jacket, there was a clear enough impression of the double K. Probably the rock against which he had been leaning bore the monogram, of which the worthy man had taken an impression on his back. Antifer gave a great leap, seized the bargeman by his arm, and ordered him to return to the place where he had been sitting. The rest followed, and in less than a minute they were in front of a block of stone, on which the much-sought-for monogram was perfectly legible. Not only had Dragomane sat with his back up against the rock, but he had sat right down on the place where the treasure was hidden. No one spoke a word. They set to work. For want of tools, the task would be difficult. Could they clear away these rocks with their pocket knives? Fortunately, the stones eroded by the weather could be pulled asunder without much difficulty. In an hour they might have the barrels in sight, then they would only have to take them to the camp, and then to Mayumba. This transport might probably be difficult, and how could it be carried out without awakening suspicion? Bah! Who was going to think about that? The treasure first. The treasure from the tomb where it had been buried for a third of a century. They could see about the other things afterwards. Antifer worked till his hands bled. He would not abandon to another the delirious joy of feeling, of patting the precious casks. At last, he cried, as his knife snapped against a metallic surface. And then, what a yell there was! Good heavens! Not joy, but stupefaction! Disappointment! Did his white face show? Instead of the barrels mentioned in Kamalik Pasha's will, there was an iron box, a box like that found on island number one, with the monogram as usual. Again? Joel could not help exclaiming. It must be a hoax, murmured Tregamine. The box was pulled out of the hole, and Antifer opened it savagely. A document appeared, an old parchment, yellow with age, on which were traced these lines, which Captain Antifer read in a loud voice. Longitude of Island Number 3, 15 degrees, 11 minutes east. After being noted by the co-legatees Antifer and Zambuco, this longitude is to be taken and communicated in the presence of the notary Ben Omar to Mr. Turcomel of Edinburgh, Scotland, who possessed the latitude of the third island. Then it was not in Mayumba Bay that the treasure was buried. They would have to search elsewhere on the globe by combining this new longitude with the latitude of said Turcomel of Edinburgh. And there were not two to share Camelic Pasha's legacy, but three. And why, exclaimed Jewel, should we not be sent from this third island to twenty others, to a hundred others? Come, uncle, are you so obstinate, so foolish as to run about all over the world? Without reckoning, said Tregamine, that if Kamblik Pasha had made legatees by the hundred, his legacy will not be worth troubling about. Antifer looked down on his friend and his nephew, gave him a pebble to grind in his jaw, and replied, Silence in the ranks. We have not got to the end yet. And straightening out the document, he read as follows. Up to the present, at some compensation for their trouble and expenses, the co-legatees are to each take one of the two diamonds deposited in this box, the value of which is insignificant compared with that of the other precious stones they are asked to search for. Zambugo threw himself on the box, which he snatched from Antifer's hands. Diamonds, he shouted. And there were, in fact, two magnificent diamonds, worth, so the banker said, four thousand pounds of the pair. 
It is quite that, said he, taking one of the diamonds and handing the other to his co legatee. A drop of water in the ocean, said Antifer, slipping the diamond into one pocket and the document into another. Ahem, said the bargeman, shaking his head. This is becoming more serious than I thought. We shall see. We shall see. But Jewel merely shrugged his shoulders, and Sawu clenched his hands at the thought that never again would he have such a favorable opportunity. As to Ben Omar, who had not had the smallest brilliant for his share, in spite of the obligation laid on him by this third document, he stood there with his features drawn, his arms limp, his knees shaking just like a half-empty sack about to flatten out on the ground. It is true that Suuk and he were not in the same position as they were when they left St. Malo, ignorant that they were going to Muscat, or when they had left Muscat, ignorant that they were going to Luongo. Carried away by regrettable excitement, Antifer had let slip the secret he should have rigorously concealed. They had all heard the new longitude, 15 degrees 11 minutes east, and they had all heard the name of Mr. Turcomel, residing at Edinburgh in Scotland. We may be certain that if Ben Omar had not done so, Sook had already engraven these figures and this address in his memory until he could write them in his pocketbook, and Antifer and the banker would have to be careful not to lose sight of the notary, or his clerk with the mustaches if they did not want them to outstrip them on their journey to Edinburgh. There might be some reason for thinking that Nazim had not understood, as he did not understand French, but there was no doubt that Ben Omar would reveal the secret to him. And besides, Jewel had noticed that Nazim had not concealed a feeling of satisfied curiosity when the figures of the longitude and the name of Turcomel had so imprudently escaped the lips of Captain Antifer. After all, what did it matter? In his opinion, it would be madness to submit again for the third time to the posthumous fancies of Kamalik Pasha. What ought to be done was to return to Luongo and take the first steamer on their way to the good town of St. Malo. Such was the wise and logical proposition that Jewel made to his uncle. Never, replied Captain Antifer. The Pasha sends us to Scotland. We will go to Scotland. And if I devote the rest of my life to this search... My sister Talisma, added the banker, loves you too well not to wait for you, even for ten years. Goodness, thought Tregomain, the young lady will be nearly sixty. Observations were useless. Antifer had made up his mind. He would continue in pursuit of the treasure, although the legacy was reduced to a third by the participation of Mr. Turcomel. Well, Enigate would have to be content to marry an earl, and Jewel a countess. End of chapter 26